Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Well, every family is different. My family was built through the miracle of adoption. For many years, uh, my wife and I were informed by doctors that we wouldn't be able to have children by natural means. And so after a lot of pain and expensive medical procedures and the emotional roller coaster of it all, God finally broke our hearts of our plan and began to burden our hearts for adoption. And because we've had the opportunity, my wife and I, to travel all over the world on mission trips, we really felt like God was calling us towards international adoption. The problem was it's really expensive. We're not talking about hundreds of dollars here. We're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, money we did not have. But we had a strong sense that this is what God wanted us to do. And so we just took a step by faith and we asked some people if they'd be willing to contribute to uh, helping us pay for this adoption. And God taught us a powerful lesson. I mean, our our adoption was not funded by million-dollar donors scratching large checks, but by individuals who wanted to have an impact. I can remember during those times walking out of church and a teenager handed me a Ziploc bag filled with coins and dollar bills. He had cashed his small paycheck and just wanted to contribute towards the adoption. I, I, I remember going to the mailbox and finding a check from some friends of ours who were missionaries in Europe who they themselves are on financial support but gave sacrificially to make our dream a reality. There were even strangers, people we had never met before who heard our story and they they galvanized their own network of people to help fundraise for us. And after two long years, God provided for all of our needs through all of these individuals. The the cost of this international adoption was covered 100%. And we were reminded that this happened because individuals said, here I am, God, will you use me? And when that kind of thing happens, that's where you see impact. And you too, you can have an impact. It's not just some ethereal idea or some coach speak you'd hear in a locker room before a big game or or something written on one of those motivational posters that hangs in your break room wall. You really can have an impact. Here's how. You copy Jesus. Here's how Jesus had an impact. One person at a time. And if we take that page, we can have an impact too. And in the New New Testament Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, we see Jesus give examples of this kind of impact. And we want to look at it today. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to Mark, chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 21. If you don't have a Bible, we'll post the verses up here on the screen. Mark 5, 21. Let's read along together. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And one of the things I love about the Bible is that it occurred in real places. This place was Capernaum. I know because I've been there. I got to go there this past summer or this past January when I visited Israel. And this is the city where Jesus did more miracles than any other place. And we're about to see some of those miracles. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So amidst all of these crowds that are there, this one synagogue leader finds Jesus and begs for help. 
Synagogue leaders, they would, they would create worship services for people. He was in charge of the service order and the scripture and bringing in guest speakers and making sure the synagogue was kept up so that people can come and worship. But synagogue leaders had a rather complicated relationship with Jesus. In the Gospel of John, we learn a little bit more about that. John 12, 42 says, Many even among the leaders believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. And so this guy, Jairus, may have well been a, a secret believer in Jesus, but because of the religious authorities and fear of persecution, a lot of these guys just kept their faith underground. Something that still happens to this day in nations all over the world where believers are persecuted, especially in Muslim-majority nations. And so maybe he was keeping his faith a secret, but now he found himself in a crisis. His 12-year-old daughter was dying, and your priorities change when you're in a crisis. Suddenly, this guy stopped caring about what the Pharisees thought, and he fell at Jesus' feet and begged him for help. Mark 5, 24. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So by now, word spread, Jesus was a miracle man, and everyone wanted to come out and and. and get a peek at Jesus. Maybe they just needed their celebrity fix or maybe they had needs of their own. They wanted a miracle themselves. Whatever the case was, Jesus was flanked on every side by likely thousands of people. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So now we're introduced to a new person in the story, a woman. We don't even know her name. We just know her condition. She was sick, poor, and desperate. She had a, a chronic bleeding condition. And, and every time she went to a doctor, no one could help her. Some of you can relate. Some of you know that feeling exactly, of hoping that this next doctor is going to be the one that solves the mystery, only be let down again. She was broke. She spent all her money on these mounting medical bills. What made it worse was none of the doctors were able to help. And she was desperate. You see, her, her condition was not just a painful physical one, but it also left her ostracized from society. You see, back then, there was, there was laws about being clean and unclean. Under the law of Moses, uh, these laws were put in place to help us to see that all of us are, are, are unclean before God. Of course, the Pharisees completely lost sight of that and emphasized outward cleanliness while ignoring inward dirtiness due to our sin. And they had all these rules that they built up around that. So for a woman who was in her cycle, there was a certain amount of time where she had to remain away from people because she was unclean, but then she could re-enter society. However, for the woman in this particular story, her cycle went nonstop for 12 years, which meant she was trapped in a perpetual state of uncleanness, which meant she couldn't go to the synagogue. She couldn't go to the temple and worship. She was probably cut off from her own family. You guys remember in the early days of COVID before any of us knew, knew any better, when, when you heard somebody got COVID, what did you do? You locked them in a room of the house. Everybody stayed away from them and, and you fed them by sliding you know, plates under the door. And they had to remain in this situation for 10 days because that's what Dr. Fauci told us to do. And, you know, and, and I talked with people who, who were in that situation. And they said, those 10 days were the worst. I was so bored. I was so lonely. Imagine being in quarantine for 12 years. Might that make you desperate? 
That was the situation for this woman. And so when she heard Jesus was coming to town, maybe she thought if I just keep a low profile and bank on the fact that nobody's gonna be looking at me, they're gonna be looking at Jesus. And if I could just get close to him, maybe I got a shot. And so she gets out there in the crowd and Jesus comes walking by and she pushes her way past others. And as he's going by, she stretches out her hand and is barely able to just get a piece of the tassel on his robe. And then something happened. It says in verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The true miracles of Jesus happened instantaneously. And for a woman who hadn't stopped bleeding, she knew right away that she was fine. Her gamble worked. She stole her miracle. Now all she had to do is disappear back through the crowd and, and get back home. Not so fast. Verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So now he stops dead in his tracks and begins scanning the crowd. And now the crowd is starting to look at each other. Before they were preoccupied with Jesus, but now they're looking all around and to find the person who, who, who touched his robe and got a miracle probably wasn't that hard. All you had to do was find the one person in this moment trying to run away. And so this woman realized the jig was up. She's gonna have to confess. Verse 33, then the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Ever catch a little kid in a lie and they confess every detail of the story? It was me! I took the cookies! I waited till you took the dogs out and I snuck in and I grabbed the box of cookies and I went up and I hid under my bed and I ate the entire thing and then I threw it in the trash and I took the trash out to the curb. I wasn't being nice. I was just hiding the evidence. I'm sorry. Like, whoa, okay. Got every detail there. Wouldn't surprise me if when this woman fell at Jesus and began confessing her story, 12 years of pain came out of her mouth. How would the Son of God react in this situation? Verse 34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. What a powerful moment. What an incredible time this had to be. But remember, the clock was still ticking on Jairus' daughter. That's where Jesus was going in the first place. He was supposed to go help her. Unfortunately, Jesus took too long. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Someone back at the house pronounced her dead on the scene and said, look, leave Jesus alone. We got a funeral to plan. Verse 36, Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. So Jesus continues to walk to the home with Jairus after the girl was pronounced dead shows up in a room full of mourners and said, hey, everyone, she's just, she just in a midday nap. And their emotions go from one extreme to the other. They go from crying hysterically to laughing hysterically. Like, who is this Jesus clown? 
Does he think we've never seen death before? You're supposed to be a teacher. Maybe you're the one who needs a lesson. Everybody's laughing. Verse 40. And after Jesus put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. Another miracle, another changed life, and another day of impact on these Capernaum streets. So, so, so what can we learn from this? I, I mean, the reality is that this is a, a, an incredibly complex and multi-layered story, and you can get a lot of different things out of this, but for the sake of our time today, I'm, I wanna pick one lane. And this is the overarching principle I want us to lay hold of today, and that is this. Impact occurs one person at a time. Remember, Jesus was on his way somewhere else and the man interrupted him. So Jesus ministered to him. And then the woman interrupted the man. So Jesus ministered to her. Impact occurs one person at a time. And if we follow Jesus' example, we can have an impact too. Now, some of us can say, okay, uh, well, of course Jesus had an impact. He could heal people. If I could heal people, I'd have an impact too. Friends, listen to me. You don't need supernatural abilities to have an impact. We just need to follow the example of how Jesus deals with people. And in this passage of scripture, there's a couple of, of really practical takeaways that we can grab hold of on how to make an impact. And so if you're, you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first one. Watch for the one who is reaching out. In all your lives, there are people who are reaching out for Jesus. They might not know it's Jesus, but they are reaching out. Let's go back to these passages of scripture. Look at, uh, this, this is actually the same account, but recorded by Luke. And when Jesus was in this crowd and everybody's pressing along, Luke 8, 45, who touched me, Jesus asked, and they all denied it. And Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. So in Luke's account, Jesus actually says to the crowd, hey, which one of you was it? And they're all like, oh, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. Everybody's saying not me. And the disciples are like, oh, for crying out loud. Are we really stopping right now and trying to figure this out? Jesus, you, you wanna know the answer to your question, who touched you? The answer is yes. <laughs> Everybody touched you. I mean, I mean, look at this crowd. There's thousands of people on every side. Are, are we really gonna stop here and try to figure out which person it was? We'll be here all day. Read between the lines. The disciples were essentially saying was the real problem is at the synagogue leader's house. Let's get moving. But I think this is so key to pay attention to Mark 5:32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. He refused to give up. He stood there and kept looking. Now, did Jesus really not know who touched him? Uh, he knows all things. He knew who touched him, but he was up to something deeper here. Verse 33. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole story. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, Jesus didn't just perform a miracle. He was changing her entire life. You see, by, by calling her out, he gave her the chance to share the 12 years of pain she had been carrying with all the people who'd been trying to avoid her. And then he had a chance to dignify her. He said something to her. He said to no one else in the entire New Testament, he called her daughter. Who are the people in your life who need to be known, who need to be reminded that they are not a random 
faceless person in a crowd, but that there's a loving father who desires to make them his child. And so when he said that your faith has healed you, what he essentially did was restored this woman back into society. Imagine if she just left and said, oh, oh, I got healed. Yeah, right. Jesus took that moment in front of others to restore her. Her entire life changed in that moment. She went from hiding behind Jesus to to being right in front of him. She went from dirty to being clean, from reviled to restored, from dead to daughter. Imagine if Jesus just took the disciples' advice and just kept going. But Jesus refused to let the urgency of the next moment prevent him from ministering in this one. Are you going to be somebody who's willing to open up your eyes and just pay attention to who the people are in front of you who are reaching out? Because they're all out there. And just like this woman who spent her whole life on doctors who couldn't help her, you've got people in your life, they've spent their life on different kinds of doctors. Maybe it's the doctor of distraction, Netflix, social media, their kid's school, their own school, anything to occupy their thoughts so that they don't have to consider their own heart. Maybe you know people who've spent their life on, on the doctor of approval or the doctor of wealth or the doctor of addiction, trying to numb the pain by smoking weed and drinking and any other kind of substance that that could get our mind off of it. The problem is the high always wears off and the problem is still there. And just like this bleeding woman, there are people in your life who are looking at their own and saying, I'm not getting better, I'm getting worse. And they're reaching out. They don't realize it's Jesus they're reaching out for, but they're reaching out. How do we recognize them? You know, this comes in a lot of different ways. It, it could be the coworker who's lingering around your door or at your cubicle asking you if you saw the game last night or that episode of The Bachelor. And, and, and maybe they just want a small talk. Or what if they're hoping that this conversation leads into some deeper ones so they can share with you the pain they're carrying? Or maybe it's that, that grandchild or that friend or that neighbor who, who seems to ask you a lot of questions about church. And maybe it's just because they know that's an interest to you. Or perhaps they're secretly wondering, I wonder if you'll ever invite me. Or maybe it's that that random text message you get from that person out of nowhere, you know, a little funny video or something. Do you really think that person you haven't heard from in months just wants to make you laugh? Maybe they're hoping you'll send a text back that says, how are you? And they can tell you what they're really struggling with. Friends, they're all over. They're reaching out. Are we willing to pause and be in the moment and recognize it? Friends, listen, I can't heal anyone, but I can point people to the healer. But I have to be willing to watch for the one reaching out. Just this morning, I was small talking with a guy out in the courtyard and we're laughing and everything's fine. I just sense God saying to me, how can I pray for you? The guy bursts into tears right there. I mean, whoa, and out came the pain. He was reaching out. It was just chit-chat, but there was something deeper going on there. Friends, impact occurs one person at a time. Watch for the one who is reaching out. Here's the second lesson. Walk with the one who is doubting. I want to go back to 
Mark chapter five, verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ever feel like Jesus was taking too long to answer your request? When you're the one suffering, it always feels longer. And that's where doubt starts to creep in. Does Jesus really love me? Does Jesus really care about me? Does Jesus really have the power to help my situation? And even if you aren't the one who originates with those doubts, there's always a crowd thereby to get those doubts in your head. There's always a crowd out there to tell you, don't bother with Jesus anymore. He's got more important things than just your little problem. But you know what? It's really hard to give up on Jesus when he's walking right beside you. And this, and this synagogue leader was walking home and Jesus continued with him despite the news that he got. And the reality is that you have people in your life who they doubt God, they doubt if he even exists, they doubt if he has any power. You know it's gonna challenge their doubt when you keep walking with them. You keep loving them. You keep praying for them and watch and see what God does. You know, one, one testimony we've heard quite a bit this year are from people in this church who, who have talked about a loved one who told them they'll never set foot in the church. Some of them were spouses, some of them were kids, some boyfriends or girlfriends. We've even heard stories of people who would threaten to cut off the relationship if you ever mentioned Jesus again. That's real. But these faithful men and women kept walking with them through their doubts. They didn't give up on them, kept praying for them, kept loving them, kept talking with them. And the testimony we've heard time and time again is, you're not gonna believe this. My husband actually showed up in church. I cannot believe my daughter is enrooted. It's mind-blowing. My dad right now is wanting to talk about the Bible. Friends, when you keep walking with somebody through the doubt, you keep showing them what it looks like to be Jesus. Impact occurs one person at a time. And sometimes that's walking with somebody for a week. Sometimes that's walking with someone for a year. Sometimes it's walking with someone through pain. Sometimes it's walking with someone in a room full of haters. But you keep walking with them. And maybe you'll be the next person with a testimony. If you're not gonna believe what God did for my loved one. Even when it feels hopeless, keep walking down that road. Friends, watch for the one who is reaching. Walk with the one who's doubting. Here's more, one more. Help the one, even when you can't help everyone. One of the biggest barriers to you and I having an impact is, is when we're tempted to think this. Well, if I help one person, I'm gonna have to help everyone. And so what do we decide to do? We decide to just help no one. Again, I wanna point out two passages of scripture that we read today. First is Mark 5, 31. You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? And also verse 39 of Mark 5. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. The thing that both of these passages have in common are crowds. In the case with the bleeding woman, there's thousands of people pressed in all around Jesus. He passed through the crowd, but he healed only one. And with the synagogue leader, he walked into a room full of countless mourners, 
but he helped only one. Now, there was times in Jesus' ministry where he stayed there and he healed every last person, but clearly there were also times where he did not. Now, one thing you never heard from Jesus with, with all of this crowd and, and the woman falls at his feet and said, it was me. You never heard Jesus said, okay, if I stop and listen to this lady's story of the one person who touched me, I'm gonna have to do that for everybody in the crowd. That's gonna take weeks. I don't got that kind of time. Never once did you hear Jesus say, well, if I go with Jairus back to his house, I'm gonna have to go back to the homes of all these people. No. Remember, impact occurs one person at a time. Help the one, even when you can't help everyone. You know, a number of years ago, my son was in first grade. He told me there's a bully at his school. So every day they'd go out to recess and they'd go out in the grass and there's this big kid who would chase after him and all of his friends and he would tackle them on the ground. He's scaring his friends. And so he, he told me about it and I, and I saw the kid. He, he was a big kid. I, I saw him at drop-off one time. You know, every, every school's got one. You know, the kid that you think is a teenager and you find out they're six. <laughs> now, most of the time, that's the kid who's like the nicest one in the entire school. But there are a few bad ones. And I observed the kid at my son's school. He was rough, he was aggressive, he didn't listen. And I'm like, okay, I, I could see it. And so uh, my, my, my son didn't know what to do. And I, I don't wanna be the parent who just kind of swoops in and removes all of the, the challenges for our kids. I want him to work through conflict resolution on his own, even at a young age. And so I gave him some advice. Listen, you, you be firm with him. You, you tell him to, to stop doing what he's doing and then, and then let him know, I'm gonna have to tell the playground monitor if you keep doing this. My son disregarded all of my advice and decided to take matters into his own hands he decided that he was gonna take on the bully. In his mind, he chose to tackle the kid who was tackling all the other kids. So the next morning, he goes to school and he goes through lunch, eats his lunch, goes out to the grass at recess to play, finds the bully and decides to go all Ray Lewis on him and tackle the kid into the grass. What does the bully do? Pops up and goes and tells the playground monitor right away. So my son gets pulled into the principal's office and the principal tells him, you know, because of what you did, you lose playing on the grass at recess for the rest of the year. So I learned all of this from my son. And so I say, okay, rather than just taking him at his word, let me call the principal and get the full story because it's possible there's a, a, a significant portion of information that's missing. So I get on the phone with the principal. I say, hey, help me understand what happened. He says, well, your son uh, hurt another kid and so we had to punish him by taking away a part of his recess for the whole year. I said, okay. I said, uh, assuming you saw this yourself? He said, no, the, the playground monitor let me know. Okay, so the playground monitor saw this? Well, uh, no, but the kids who were there all confirmed that it happened. Okay, and were you aware of the fact that my, my boy, the, the, the kid that my boy tackled had been tackling other kids for weeks? Well, the playground monitor didn't see that. Well, to be fair, the playground monitor didn't see my child either. So either the playground monitor's not doing their job or we're relying on the eyewitness testimony of six-year-olds. So I'm getting a little tense now at this point, okay? And so we're going back and forth. And uh, finally, the, the principal just says, hey, what do you want? What is it that you want? I said, I want you to remove the restriction you placed on my son's recess. Any guesses what she said to me? If I do this for you, come on, finish the sentence. I gotta do this for everyone. To which I responded, no, you don't. I kind of stunned her a little bit. I said, no, you don't. Everyone's not asking for this. I am. 
And she said, so, so you want me to give you special treatment? I said, yes. <laughs> and she goes, okay, consider it done. I said, all right, very good. Off we go. Friends, listen. Every one of us faces this temptation. There's a person to help, and we think, okay, if I help this one person, now, now i got to help everybody. No, you don't. Help the one, even if you can't help everyone. Just start with the person in front of you. You know, we're, we're in the midst of this here-to-stay giving initiative, and, and we're calling on, on the church to help us raise $7 million to build this new peace center here at the Rialto campus so that we can minister to the needs of our community and, and invest in a village in Kenya so that we can help alter a person's future. And, and we're already off and running. We're not waiting for the money to come in to start this. We believe this is where God's calling us to go, and so we're, we're trusting in faith that he's going to provide. So, but the plane's already off the runway. It's in the sky. And so we, we know that we're going to need, need people to help contribute toward that. And at some point in time, we believe that God's going to provide and we're going to have a new peace center here on the Rialto campus. And guess what? We are not going to be able to solve every problem in the city of Rialto. Not even close. There's still homelessness, a tight job market, addiction, teenage pregnancy, the crumbling family structure. We can't solve all of these problems. So does that mean we shouldn't do anything? You know, we want to invest in a village in Kenya, but when you take a step back and look at the issues uh, on a global scale, it's overwhelming. I mean, there's human trafficking, there's a refugee crisis, there's diseases, there's unclean water, there's the persecuted church, there's unreached people groups. We can't solve all those problems. So does that mean we should do nothing? Rather than being paralyzed by all of the things we can't do, why don't we just be faithful to the things that we can do? We can't do everything, but we can do something. Impact occurs one person at a time. And it starts when one of us says, here I am, God, use me. You know, next week is gonna be a really special Sunday. We're calling it Commitment Sunday. It's going to be an opportunity where the church is going to be able to come forward with their 24-month financial commitment towards this goal. But the reality is that there are people in this church who've already said yes. People who've already said, I'm here to stay. I'm in. God's calling me to do this, and I'm going to step up. I'm not waiting for somebody else. It'll be real easy to sit in the seats next week and go, man, it's really great what all those nice people are doing. But what does God want you to do? What part does he want you to play? What impact does he want you to make? And so one of those people who's already said yes is a young man in this church named Anthony. In fact, you've already seen him up here on stage as the stage host. And we got him this week with our camera crew to just hear uh, why is it that he wanted to give towards this initiative. And here's what he had to see, say. Check out this video. My name is Anthony Casas. My wife, Christina, and I have been coming to Sunrise Church for about eight years now. And God has used Sunrise to restore our marriage. Through Sunrise Church, we have grown to know God personally. We're seeing Him break through in areas like never before. God is using us literally here at Sunrise Church to make a difference. So when we heard about the Giving Initiative, we had never been at the Peace Center. I've never been on a mission trip. Me and my wife, we honestly started looking at all the reasons why we couldn't give. Two years is 
a long time, especially because we had plans. We had already discussed goals that we were thinking about doing, but we allowed God to really soften our hearts. We went to him in prayer and God stirred in my heart a passion and a desire that we wanna be on board. We were confident that this was what God wanted us to do. This is our opportunity to change things, to make a difference, for lives like ours to be restored, for marriages to be restored, families to find that joy that Jesus offers. We wanna see and praise God for how faithful He is as He comes through with what He told us we are gonna give. My advice for somebody that is looking at wanting to give, seek God, pray, ask Him what He wants you to give. Two years in light of what God could do in somebody's eternity. This is the chance for somebody to know Jesus, for somebody to go to that peace center, for somebody to be in Kenya and be in heaven because you obeyed God. And that's what we wanna do. We wanna do our part for our city, for our church, and for our world. I pray that God will move upon your heart, upon your mind, and that he would give you that number that he wants you to give because he will supply it as you trust him. Amen. <laughs> Listen, impact occurs one person at a time. It's how Jesus treated the bleeding woman. It's how Jesus treated the synagogue leader. And the reality is that all of us ought to see ourselves in both of those stories. You see, the bleeding woman reached out for Jesus by faith and her body was made clean. You and I need to reach out to Jesus by faith so that our souls can be made clean. And when she reached out for Jesus, he received her touch and granted her healing. You and I need to reach out for Jesus. And when we do, he receives our sin and grants us forgiveness. Jairus' child died, his one and only daughter. Jesus died, God's one and only son. But death was not the end for Jairus' daughter. She would rise again. And death was not the end for Jesus. He would rise from the grave. And both the bleeding woman and Jairus threw themselves at Jesus' feet because they knew they could not save themselves. And you and I need to throw ourselves at Jesus' feet because we know we cannot save ourselves. And the words that Jesus said to Jairus back then still ring true to us. Don't be afraid, just believe. It's a powerful statement. It's actually two statements. Don't be afraid. Jesus knows that fear and faith cannot peacefully coexist in a person's heart. One always crowds out the other. And just believe, as in belief only, not belief and speculation, not belief and assumption, not belief and Google, just believe. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in here today or watching online that today is going to be the day that you say to Jesus, I believe. Today is going to be the day you say to Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Today is going to be the day that you say to Jesus, I give you my life. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? If not, I want to help you do that today. In just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer of surrender. I'll give you the words to pray, but you've got to mean them in your heart. And so if you're ready to begin a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to invite everyone right now to close your eyes, bow your heads, 
And in the silence of your heart, I want you to repeat these words after me. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe you died in my place. And I believe you can forgive someone like me. And so I confess my sins to you. I ask that you make me clean. Will you change my heart so I could leave my old life behind and live a new life following you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you're somebody who prayed that prayer today, I wanna welcome you to the family of God and I wanna encourage you to let somebody know in the programs that you received when you came in, there's a white card that says connect card and on it is a box that says, today I said yes to Jesus. I wanna encourage you, fill out that card, check that box. And in just a moment, our ushers are gonna come forward to collect today's offering. You drop that card right in there. Maybe others, you've already prayed to receive Jesus, but you wanna take your next step and you just don't know what that is. Here's the simplest way to do it. You pull out your phone and text the word next to 909-281-7797. One of our staff people will get that text and they'll start interacting with you to help you take that next step. Or if you don't wanna deal with the texting, you could stop by our next step table out in the lobby right after service and somebody will talk with you about it today or text next to 909-281-7797. And also in your programs is a little financial card. Next week, you're gonna have the opportunity on Commitment Sunday to come forward with your 24-month financial commitments. So be in prayer about what role God wants you to play. It's gonna be a powerful service. You're gonna get to see sunrise at its best. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Until then, remember, impact occurs one person at a time. So watch for the one who is reaching. Walk with the one who is doubting and help the one even if you can't help everyone. Impact is possible. Impact can start today. And may it start with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for loving the world so much that you would send Jesus to come to us. Thank you that, that he, he sees us and he knows us. He calls us out of the crowd. And you desire for us to be your sons and your daughters. And so, Lord, I pray that we would learn from you and we would open our eyes and be representative of you into our world, into our families, into our cities, and into our world, Lord. We've seen you at work, and so, God, may we live it out now. And, Father, if there's anyone in here who's never crossed that line of faith, may they not leave this place today without doing so. And as we prepare to give our offerings these, these financial gifts to you, Lord, I pray that you would multiply them across our city and across our world so that others may come to know you in a personal way. We can't do this ourselves. We need you, Jesus. And so we call upon your powerful name, Jesus, the Son of God, we pray. And if you agree in your heart, then let the church say, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I wanna encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. 
That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.